Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Hey, Ed Marks here at Digital Voices. So glad you joined us for another episode. Thank you for listening. I know you have a lot of different things that you can listen to and you've chosen to listen to Digital Voices and we really appreciate it. We are ad-free, sponsor-free, just pure content. Super excited to introduce to you our guest in this episode, Dan Butner. Dan, welcome to Digital Voices. Glad to be here. So Dan, I, I think everyone either knows you or knows you via many of the different things that you've done around the world. You're a National Geographic Fellow, number one uh, New York Times bestselling author, I think five different books, uh, longevity and happiness expert, three-time Guinness World Record distance in cycling, which I want to talk about uh, just a little bit. And of course, the latest thing that's come out on Netflix is How to Live to Be 100, Secrets of uh, the Blue Zones. So there's probably more to it than that, but that's sort of the highlights uh, when we talk about you, Dan. So thanks again for being a guest on our show. Plus, I, met, I, I won the, the fifth grade science fair with my electric helicopter display. So you missed that one, but... Yeah, see, it'll... It all, it all starts early, that's for sure. And so, Dan, I don't know if you remember or not, but the first time that we met was at Texas Health Resources. So we were doing a Blue Zone experiment with Fort Worth, Texas, and Texas Health was a big part of it. And you and your team came, and definitely Texas Health was behind what we were, we were trying to do with the Blue Zones in Fort Worth. They still talk about uh, the Blue Zones today, and that was about 20 years ago. I don't know if it was 2004, 2005. when no, your t- you- it wasn't that long ago. It was probably 2000. 12, 2013. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I always, yeah, I always skip back a decade. Uh, 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 right. it, was, it was 10 years ago, not not so much 20 years ago. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I was going back a whole decade previously. But yeah, uh, it made an impression on me. I was a big believer, uh, bought one of your books, helped make you that number one bestseller. Thank and you. yeah, and I just loved the stuff. And then more recently, I went out to St. Paul and a good friend of mine is Chris Ross, who is in your friend circle and, yes, and got to become your friend. And, um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to have Dan uh, definitely on the podcast because your work is so important. So that's when we first met. But Dan, on Digital Voices, the most important question we ask is what songs are on your playlist? Well, I, I, it's always Bob Dylan. I, you know, from a Minnesota boy, I, um, he's always on there. Uh, Wilco. One set one Sunday morning. I listen to all the time. Um, Verve, Sinnerman uh, from Verve. Those are three of them, I guess. Yeah, I have to look. The, I've looked a couple of them up. Certainly familiar with uh, uh, Bob Dylan. What about your your life message or passion or mantra? Is there some words that you live by? Well. If you want to live longer, be happier, don't try to change your behavior, change your environment. And that's that's generally the if you take 20 years of work on longevity and happiness, the, the best insight is um, your environment's going to drive how long you live and how much you enjoy the journey more than just about anything else. So either yeah. move to the right place or shape the right pl- or shape it so it is the right place. Yeah, I love that. Um, profound and, and um, 
spot on. So tell us before we sort of get into, I want to talk about a few different areas, obviously uh, blue zones and leadership and a little bit of cycling. Uh, but before, before we get there, tell us a little bit about yourself, however far back you want to go personal or professional. I had a father who was a outdoorsman forest service. And when other kids were going to Disney world for vacation, my dad was taking us into the woods for two, three weeks at the time, the boundary waters we canoe in, we learned self-sufficiency and, and um, we learned how to endure hardship and be at ease with the outdoors, which was a great gift. And uh, I, I, when I was 14, I stumbled into selling newspaper subscriptions. I was really good at it in one trip. So my family couldn't afford to, to, uh, to travel, but um, I was winning trips on airplanes when I was 14. That was back in 74 when, it, when you know, flying was pretty rare for kids. And uh, developed a zest for travel. And after college, when other things were doing, other people were doing useful and productive things with their lives. I biked from Alaska to Argentina, uh, uh, Arctic Ocean to, to Prudhoe Bay. I biked around the world along the 45th parallel, goes through St. Paul, halfway between the North Pole and the equator, crossed the entire Soviet Union, which first person since 1970, first American since 1917. And then I hold the record for biking across Africa from the top, across the Sahara, and then down to the southern tip. So we zigzagged across the continent, trying to avoid the wars. And my character was really shaped doing these expeditions because they were really hard and they were life-threatening many, many times. And I also developed an empathy for people who don't have as much as we do, and also a certain facility for for um uh, endearing myself to people and, and having them share their wisdom, which, which, um, was really useful in my next phase. I started a company that solved great ancient mysteries. I had a full-time staff of 14 people and a digital audience of over a million. And they were called quests and I solved I think 14 really big, important mysteries before I went on to solve the biggest mystery of them all, the mystery of blue zones which led me to, to uh, this, this um, longevity, uh, reverse engineering longevity. So that's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the medium-sized version. Yeah. No, it's, it's fascinating. We want to unpack that a little bit. Uh, before we get there, did you keep any of those bikes? You know, because they, they should be in the Smithsonian, right? You know, you- actually, they've all been stolen except for one of them. I do have the one I biked around the world with. But, you know, ironically, I came back from Africa and people thought I was going to die. And I was back in Minneapolis uh, and my bike got stolen out of my garage within two weeks. My bike got stolen when I, the one I biked from Alaska, Argentina, once again, got stolen in Minneapolis. But the one I biked around the world, you know, I have, I have uh, kind of refurbished it because I actually needed to use it for several years. But it, I still have it. It's a Raleigh. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, next time I'm up there, if I get to hang out with your friend circle again, uh, we'll take a look at your bike. It'll be a lot of fun. Wait, Dan, I know you've told a lot of different bike stories and they're very well chronicled, but what's one that maybe not too many people know about? So, you know, a story that happened in your in your travels that that hasn't been shared broadly. You know, when biking across the uh, Sahara, there's a very famous mosque uh, uh, of... Um, it's a mosque slash shrine of a holy man. Marabut was his name. And everybody who crosses the Sahara, whether it's a camel or a semi, 
stops and does three counterclockwise circle around his shrine. And you're invited to stay the night. And there's some small, I don't know how they do it, but every night, I mean, you have to, this is like 600 miles of sand and all of a sudden you're at this place. And uh, if you're there at night, uh, all travelers are offered a meal. And uh, hmm. we, my brother and I showed up, it's after dark. We showed up into this little adobe hut, uh, hovel. Everybody else is wearing a jalaba, which looks, looks like something on a Star Trek. And we're wearing lycra. And we walk in and there's 12 <laughs> women who were eating a big couscous. And the couscous was vast. And they're on the, everybody starts from the edge and eats towards the middle. And they, women got their full and then the men came in. And we sat with the men and everybody's ravenously hungry. This first hot meal I had, I've been eating dates and dried milk for weeks. And I'm just loving this. And at the very middle, there's a solitary piece of mutton. It's glistening. And, you know, everybody's carnivorous eyes are on that piece of mutton. And, um, you know, it's lit by kerosene. It's dark. And there's these swarthy figures. And we're all looking at each other. And we get to that piece of mutton. And simultaneously, everybody put, put their spoon down. We got all got up and left. And that little piece of mutton was left. And I just thought it was a emblematic of human character, of the, the selfless potential of humans. And uh, this is one of many experiences yeah, we had. That's well, as you already mentioned, and I think is a common theme in your life, is it's about living life and to the fullest. I don't take unnecessary risks and I don't do crazy things. Um, the, all my expeditions were very carefully planned. And uh, a place where I would have died, I didn't go. We carried GPSs. We had a doctor on the team. We spent a year and a half of traveling. I'm not that kind of adventurer. I'm, I'm an explorer. I'm interested in adding to the book of knowledge and, and uh, illuminating the human experience, not risking my life. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good caveat. So yeah, let's go to the blue zones then. Share, can you share a little bit about the evolution of blue zones and maybe just a super high level and I'll encourage people and I'll put in the show notes where to go to find more and also a link to the, to the most recent Netflix documentary, but just sort of the, the highlight, and then we'll dive into a little bit about the evolution of the Blue Zone. We did one of our early quests, we called them in Okinawa. It had the longest disability-free life expectancy in the world, and it was very successful. And I thought, you know, if there's longevity hotspots in Asia, there must be longevity hotspots in Europe and uh, Latin America and the United States, maybe even Africa. And I got a grant from the National Institutes on Aging. We hired demographers and then a big assignment from National Geographic. And we set out to reverse engineer longevity by first identifying areas where people are living the longest and confirming them. And then with a team of, of uh, uh, scientific experts came up with a methodology to distill their common denominators. So we found the longest of men in Sardinia, longest of women in Okinawa, Ikaria, Greece, a place where people live eight years longer without dementia. The Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, you have the lowest rate of middle-age mortality. You'll know what that means from, from yep. uh, your time at Texas Health. And then the United States, among the Seventh-day Adventists, living about seven to ten years longer than we are. And remarkably, they all more or less do the same things to reach age 100. And that is the, that is the uh, foundational insight that Blue Zones offers. Yeah, it, and it's super fascinating uh, work. And, you know, I, I had shared with your, 
your one of your uh, team, Dan, that a really good example also is where my my wife is from in north north India on the, on the foothills of the Himalaya, and it's a it, it encompasses all the things about the blue zones, right? A purpose. There's a purpose because they are uh, actually Seventh Day Adventists as well. So they have this uh, purpose: their diet, the sleep, the natural exercise. You know all the things that form that common thread uh, from the blue zones. Then my wife was then adopted at age ten. So the family was perfect. Without going into detail, she was adopted into another family that was very affluent, and they could afford all these other luxuries, quote unquote luxuries. And those parents already di- died, while her natural parents, who have what most people in the West would say a much harder life, um, still thrive because they have all the commonalities of the blue zone. So it's like a little micro uh, micro example of uh, what you've uncovered in terms of the common traits uh, in the blue zones. Now, our audience is mostly healthcare executives, Dan. So why would something like this, the whole blue zones concept and, you know, and the work that you did with Texas Health and I know with others, uh, why would it be important for, for healthcare to understand a little bit about the blue zones? Well, it's only important in, if you're in this sort of genre of healthcare where you actually care about keeping people healthy. As you, you know, most, uh, most people are in business of you know, fixing sick people. But um, we've now worked in 72 cities, you know, in, in, in uh, Texas, at Texas Health. According to Gallup, we saw the BMI of the entire city go down by 3% while the rest of Texas went up. And uh, by the city's uh, own reckoning, we, we saved them about a quarter of a billion dollars a year in projected health care costs. So that's why it's important. Our approach in blue zones, people aren't, uh, they don't have better genes. They're not more disciplined. They don't have a greater sense of individual responsibility. They don't have better health care plans. Uh, what they do have is an environment uh, where the healthy choice is the easy choice. And that boils down to a swarm of, of uh, nudges and defaults that has them behaving slightly better, unconsciously, slightly better every day for decades. And that adds up to about 10 years. In a blue yeah. zones, it adds up to places where people suffer a fifth, fifth the rate of cardiovascular disease, a sixth the rate of breast and pro- prostate cancer, half the rate of dementia. In one place, it's about a fifth the rate of dementia. And and this isn't done by the traditional diet and exercise and pharmaceuticals and nutrition, et cetera. Uh, it's done taking an environmental approach. And, and when we come into cities, as you recall, we brought a team of 35 people in Fort Worth. We worked for five years. We had one team that helped city council adopt food, built environment, and tobacco policies that nudge people into moving more and eating better and smoking less. We had a second team that administered a Blue Zone certification program for schools, restaurants, grocery stores, workplaces, and churches. And we got about 30% of them to set up their policies and designs so that people move more, ate better, socialize better uh, for the long run. And then the third team worked on um, uh, working with about 10% of individuals and helping them shape their home environment, their social environment, and in a sense, their purpose environment so that they unconsciously made better decisions. And uh, we measured it with Gallup and the, the results were astounding. Uh, yeah. The, the uh, Surgeon General, uh, two Surgeon Generals actually came there to 
to um, uh, uh, find out how we did it because it actually worked and it worked yeah. measurably. And it, uh, Texas Health is still doing it eight years later, or nine years later. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I can testify to all that. And yeah, in some restaurants on the menu, it'll be blue zones um, in the grocery store. Um, it'll have sections and encouragement, trying to nudge people to make uh, good choices. And yeah, especially as we move into value-based care, which is the buzzword in healthcare now, where you do want to take care, you're incentivized to take care of the whole person and keep them well instead of doing sick care. And so that's why I think this whole concept of the blue zone is so, so critical. So Dan, uh, where can people learn more about, I mean, obviously in the show notes, we're going to put information, but, uh, like for people that are listening right now as they're driving along, where, where can people find more information about Blue Zones? Because they might want to incorporate it in their health plans and they might want to incorporate it in their when they work with their cities and governments. Well, well you can email me, dan at bluezones.com, or you can go to the Blue Zones website and there's a community tab and you can click on that. And uh, my personal Instagram, at Dan Butner. if you can always direct message me, I'll answer your your. Uh, questions, but we do daily insights uh, at that at, at that Instagram site. So before we move into leadership, one last question is along the blue zone. So what are three or four things that people should do or can do to help ensure, kind of move in that direction and live a longer, more happy, gratifying, healthful life? Yeah, so the average American loses about eight years eating the standard American diet. I think the best thing you can do is learn how to cook at home. And uh, indisputably, if you look at a meta-analysis of the diets of longevity, they're largely whole food plant-based. So instead of uh, New Year's resolution saying you're going to get on that same old diet that fails every year, uh, try getting a plant-based cookbook. I, you know, I have the Blue Zone Kitchen books, but there's lots of good ones. And resolve to cook a, a couple of them every Sunday for a month. Learn eight or 10 recipes that you think will taste delicious. And as soon as you discover you like them, my job's over because now you know how to cook them because you've cooked them, you've tasted them, you like them, and um, you, you presumably can afford the ingredients. It's all cheap ingredients. The second thing I would do is really take stock in your immediate social circle. We yeah. know that if your three best friends are obese and unhealthy, there's a 150% better chance that you'll be overweight. Uh, if your friends sit around and eat hot dogs and, and uh, uh, you know, watch TV, if your friends smoke or drink too much, that's all measurably contagious. So while I wouldn't tell you to dump your fun friends, <laughs> I would tell you that uh, proactively bringing a few new uh, friends into your circle whose idea of recreation is, you know, maybe pickleball or golf or who are eating plant-based already and, you know, who are intellectually curious. Uh, that's all contagious and it's mindless and it's long lasting. And those are really the, the uh, thing, the qualities we look for in a blue zone intervention. And then the third thing is take the time to take stock on your values, your passions, what you're good at. And at the intersection of those three things, Make sure there's an outlet for them. Um, you know, for people listening here, they're probably high-performing individuals, and you're probably living your passion. Uh, but if you're like most American employees, you're not. And um, the outlet for those passions and values should be volunteering. And it's far more powerful than, than many people realize. 
Uh, those are three very actionable things that all of us can do. So thank you for uh, mentioning those. And there's a few more. So we won't want to steal all the thunder out of uh, out of the Netflix documentary or your books, but there but there's some other really good ideas that people can incorporate into their lives to have a, a longer, more helpful uh, life. So excellent. So I want to shift now to leadership because Dan, you're obviously a leader. Uh, you influence people, and I was wondering if there was a time when you recognized you were a leader. Was it in your youth or more recently where you're, you know, you came to the realization that you were definitely leading people uh, into these new revelations? Yeah. I, you know, I was always the uh, expedition leader and uh, I had no idea how to lead it. And I, and I, I learned through the school of hard docs, but um, you know, essentially I learned that if, uh, if you can lead from behind is understanding what the mission is and infusing that mission with uh selfless energy. Uh, and then the, the other thing I, I learned leading expeditions is regularly, at least with the, you know, the main people, you can't do it with your whole team, but your senior team is um, ha- stopping once a you know, week or once a month and hearing what they have to say, what, the, what they're feeling, what their idea is. Um, even hearing what's going on in their, in their everyday life, giving them a chance to share as a human being, not just somebody who is, you know, trying to help you make money or serve your business objectives. Um, so we used to do that. We'd especially do it when there was tension. And uh, a variant of that is I, I would ask everybody, we'd sit in a circle in these expeditions and say, tell us what's bothering you. And sometimes you'd have to go around the circle two or three times as people throw their fluff balls. But eventually right. people are honest. You know, somebody will finally say, well, you know, Chip Thomas is late every morning out of his tent and we got to wait for him. And, and you know, Chip says, well, you know, by the way, I'm up all night every night later because, you know, I've been fixing everybody's bike. You know, and so you, you realize, you know, once in a while there's good reason and that diffuses the tension. And sometimes you realize that, you know, you're at fault and you change your behavior. But um, but getting it out there giving people a forum to speak as human beings, I think has been a really important tool uh, on my leadership journey. Yeah, that's really good. And Dan, what's the best advice or one of the best things that anyone ever taught you in terms of leadership? Understand the vision and be able to communicate it in an inspirational way. Most of my leadership boils down to that. Because most people don't report directly to me. Um, they look to me to articulate the vision and set a fire under under it so that people want to follow. And how do you, when it goes back to the blue zones and, sort of, and leadership, how do you sort of encourage others? Or, or do you think is a responsibility of someone or they should ha- own it themselves in terms of living the lifestyle, maintaining the lifestyle, you know, is it influence? How, how have you gone about it throughout your career? Well, people don't like to be told what to do. They like to be led. Uh, the way I've constructed it with blue zones is I very systematically went at what the world's longest of people have done. And it's, you know, much of it's mathematical or correlative and, I'm able to um, 
tell a good story. Uh, people want to, people love a story. Yeah. And if you could tell a story that, that um, motivates people, not telling them what to do, but a story around it. So when somebody joins my team, my immediate team, I literally sit with them and I say, here's where the idea came from. Here's, here's where we went in Sardinia and Icaria and Okinawa to find that story. And here's the result. And I probably told the Blue Zone story 1,500 times. And uh, people are motivated by a story and, and um, it, helps, it helps get them on board. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And sort of my final question around leadership is self-care. So what are some things that you do around self-care? Because again, the audience here, yeah, it's a bunch of probably type, mostly type A personalities, hard charges, leading these big healthcare systems. And, you know, what do you do to maintain freshness, to refresh yourself? Well, first of all, uh, pierce that myth that you're going to get more done if you're uh, if you cut yourself short at sleeping, I, I'm a, an absolute Nazi when it comes to getting enough sleep. And even if I have to miss a meeting or crunch things out, same thing with physical activity. I do something every day physically that I, that I enjoy. Today I swam, for example. And you know, talk about leading by example. If if they're if you're the top executive, you're getting enough sleep. You're prioritizing sleep. Uh, you're getting enough physical activity. Your priority. You're eating right and modeling that behavior, and uh, insisting that those surroundings make those healthy behaviors easy. You're going to set up a team to to the, do the same. And though you, you might not get some short term things done, you're going to have a smarter, a better adjusted, more energetic team over the long run who are going to be healthy and and uh, higher performers. So uh, that, yeah. that was the ethos that I tried to imbue my organization with. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think my, my first boss at Cleveland Clinic, yeah, you would, you would love Toby Cosgrove if you have not met him before. But he, he was a pioneer in doing what you're talking about in terms of, hey, we're getting rid of all the junk food from the hospitals. You know, we're only having healthy choices. You know, that was just one example. But uh, I, I just when I hear you speak, I just think how, how the two of you would really uh, enjoy a conversation with one another if you've not had one previously. Yeah, he, he definitely uh, led the way with smoking. Same thing, um, allowing no smokers, you know, the, all sorts of stuff. But anyways, we, we covered a lot of ground, Dad. That'll be, that'll be for the next time we, we're together. Uh, but we covered a lot of ground. Everything talked a lot about music. And then we went into cycling, heard some a great cycling story. Talked a lot about Blue Zones and the reason that's so important. And then we ended with leadership. Is there anything that we missed or anything you want to double down on? I'll give you the last word. You know, I'm a big believer that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. That's true with your finances. It's true with education. We call them grades. Um, it's also true with how long you're going to live. So um, there's great tools out there to measure how long, what your life expectancy is. We do it in our Blue Zone projects, but uh, I think that's always a good place to start. Know where you are, uh, and then you can better identify where you want to want to, want to get. For some people, living a long time is not a priority. But if it's a priority for you, you have to know where you are now. Yeah. And what, what I like too, Dan, about everything that you're saying, it's not just living long. And then the examples in, in the Netflix documentary are gr great, but it's living fully 
long, uh, which is great. You know, you know, because yes. you want to be helpful along the way. So, 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 the, that, so on that point, you know, there's no pill, there's no supplement, there's no superfood, there's no longevity yep. hack that's been shown to add life expectancy to human beings. They're, it's are all theoretical, and many of them are dangerous. I had a good friend die last week doing a stem cell. Uh, uh, treatment in, in Latin America. Uh, the way people uh, uh, live longer, on average, they're living about 10 years longer in blue zones. The journey is joyous. They're eating delicious whole food plant-based. They're socializing. They know their purpose. They're interacting with nature. Uh, their, their, their journey is a journey you want to live, whereas a lot of, I think, these Silicon Valley billionaires doing the longevity hacks, first of all, I don't think it's going to work and even if it does, I think they're just prolonging a shitty life. So go the Blue Zones way. <laughs> yes, uh, totally. Absolutely. That's a great way to end. Dan, thank you so much. And again, in the show notes, uh, we'll put the links to uh, Dan's site and as well. You have to watch the Netflix series, Live to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zone. Dan, thank you so much for being our guest. My pleasure. Uh, see you when you're 100. Yes. Uh, and that wraps up another episode of Digital Voices. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening. 